0: That when you just separate yourself from your current grind, your current habits, you just start to think completely differently. I'd step away and I would consider problems or challenges differently than maybe I had when they were right up in front of my face. It's almost like stepping outside yourself, and not necessarily a vacation, you know. Sometimes take, taking time, but just just changing your routine completely, getting to a different space, um, had me just think differently.
1: Welcome to the. <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. <laughs> I can get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. My guest on this episode is Mike Papowski, CEO of Dagger. We spent time talking about his decision in the middle of a successful career to drop everything and become an entrepreneur. I also wanted to understand how he's been able to grow Dagger so quickly over the last five years, and especially during our current pandemic and economic crisis. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. I am here with my good friend, Mike Papowski. Mike, tell everybody who you are and what you do.
0: Well, I'm Jeff Hillemeyer's friend, for starters. Um, I'm co-founder, CEO of Dagger, uh, Atlanta-based advertising agency. I lead the company. Our culture, vision, and growth are really the three areas that I would say I focus most on.
1: Culture, vision, and growth. Yes. All right. I, I, we're going to dive into your story and it'll be really interesting to see how your focus has had to change over time, right? You've, you've built the business into something really fast growing and, and much larger, but where you started, but we'll get, we'll get to that. Um, the reason that I wanted to have you on this, this uh, podcast is because um, I, I'm always inspired by people who um, have that, what I'll call that entrepreneurial gene um, don't exercise it, uh, until later. Um, especially when they're in a successful career and then they pull the bus over and finally do it. I think, I think it's, it's sad. So many people never do it right. Right. They always want to, you know, so that's, that's part of why I wanted to have you is because, um, you did that. And, and also because, you know, I'm also, uh, focused on growth and growing companies and what you've done with dagger is remarkable. Um, so I want to, to get into both of those things,
0: yeah, that sounds great. That sounds awesome.
1: So, so let's do this. You and I met. Um, what year would that have been when we first?
0: We met? would have met. Um, we would have met February 2011 is when we met for the first time. And I was actually, I was actually, yeah, I was interviewing for a client partner job at at Engage. You were a pretty easy interview. I, well, I had gone through the gauntlet that day, and. Oh, I remember well, and I I had done some public research on on you. I you think you had the most sort of public facing persona out of all the people I were going to meet with that day. So I I had studied up, but we didn't get really into any of it. Um, you were, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a dad as well, and that's kind of what we what we focused on in that interview. So maybe that was just more of like a an ethics check, but it was good. <laughs> so
1: yeah it it definitely was uh culture ethics just who's the person um and uh okay so so let's do this what's the check down on your career up till that point? hit uh, hit the high points so then we can yeah i'll hit
0: high points and then maybe um i think where where you were going with earlier was kind of just this idea of of you know being an entrepreneur and where it came from um because i i think i'm I think you and I just came from it very differently um, or came at it very differently, but quick snapshot of my career. I mean, I think I always knew that I quote unquote, wanted to be in business. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, In in undergrad, I gravitated my, I'm actually one of the people that's doing what my major was. I double majored in marketing and management and I'm doing both of those things 20 years later, which is kind of funny and all the things that i love doing now i remember were the classes that i loved in undergrad so I, one of my favorite undergrad classes was organizational behavior and it was just so funny because at the time I was talking about like the paradigm shift that dell computers had led because comp you know they were they went direct direct to consumer and how they shifted the industry and how organizations needed to catch up and i was fascinated by that it was also just funny that dell was like the the company back then right but um so uh, moved to DC after school. First job was at AOL. Um, really fortunate. My I had a sister who was who was there. Got my resume in, and I went through an interview process and worked on a a sales team there selling advertising to pharmaceutical companies. Um, great corporate experience. Um, corporate layoffs about a year into my uh, career. So the interactive marketing team was four hundred. Went to two hundred um, and. I remember thinking that was the most exciting thing because I was like 25 years old and I got like an, an eight week severance package. I and mean, being like, this is the best thing that's ever happened.
1: What What did you do for those eight weeks? Did you immediately start looking for a job? Or uh, a job well, I was, time?
0: no, I, I started bartending. I was, bar- I always bartended and waited tables and college. It was always like a trade that I had to fall back on. So I, I did that immediately while I was looking for another job. But I do remember thinking, I'm making double like I'm making the bartender salary plus the severance. So I remember, so I, I, there may have been a trip to Las Vegas with a friend of mine at one point in that. Um, But about probably a few months after that, I, I got in touch with two twin brothers who had broke off from AOL and they were starting their own digital agency out of DC. And we ended up on the 5,000 grew really fast. I was the first employee in. Um, I'll come back to that because that was really my first, Exposure to thinking entrepreneurially versus previous. It was get an education, get a good job, climb the ladder. That was sort of mm-hmm. the, the the difference point. Um, but then um, from there, I jumped into a consulting gig uh, where I was sort of a lead. It's funny they hired me on as a viral marketing consultant at AARP, which is just so funny. It was the, it was the nascent time of social media um, and they were calling it viral marketing they were like just make all this go viral and i actually wrote the rfp and i was looking for a mid-size southern or southeast based dc or atlanta based agency and that's how i that was how i got in touch with, with engage and then that's how you and i met um followed the engage acquisition through moxie then went to New York for a year and then Dagger that's about twenty years in about I don't know two minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's definitely uh, hints of that entrepreneurship. So so joining that small team, um, I'm sure. How big did that group get? We
0: got, about twenty, friends. but I think so. The, 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 there were two twin twenty seven year old brothers, and the, man,
1: uh, Winkle Winklebot. They, they no they,
0: um, it was not the Winklevi.
1: The Winklevosses,
0: um, <laughs> these the, the Justin and Jason Abernathy, I think they're they're hedge fund guy. Uh, I don't keep in touch with them anymore, but um, they uh, they just exposed me to so much just different thinking. Like we were going to, you probably know Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Like I don't know if you, so we would go to like his conferences. We would go just all sorts of different conferences where there were different thinkers. And I was just learning so much when I, when I was there. Um, And I think I also was fortunate enough to be on a leadership team at such a young, at at such a young uh, period in my career, which I was able to learn front row so many valuable lessons, like what not to do and what to do. Um, And it was just empowering. I mean, I, I could just see, what can be done if you just sort of think think differently and just and just do it? Um, so that was, I would say, my first exposure to to on to being an entrepreneur or like having that entrepreneurial chip. Like I wasn't the guy that um, you know. I hear so many entrepreneurs like I sold lemonade and tra- tra- traded baseball cards when I was a kid. And it was like my first job. I created myself. I wasn't that. I was kind of a corporate person who had an entrepreneurial chip built in.
1: Well, it's interesting because you joined Engage at a really um, perfect time for you because I had just restructured at the Atlanta office to be team based, and my thought was always that the at the top of that was the account leader um, who would essentially run that team almost like a startup. Um, I had I still think that's an interesting model as agencies get bigger, but the idea being, um, keeping that entrepreneurial spirit as you grow and allowing for more autonomy. Right. Um, but anyways, it was, it was controversial. I think think it suited,
0: it suited me. I was competitive. I remember competing with some of the other client leaders and wanting our, but I could also see how that could be, could have been counter company at, at, at times. But, um, I, 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 I thrived and I thought it was, I thought it was great.
1: Yeah. And that's why I, I was a big fan of you coming on board and running a team, because I felt that within you, that there was that spirit of building something. Right. And and you did. You grew that team. There was also you. fear.
0: So uh, it's kind of funny because I started and we there was a, a big candy brand out of Hershey, Pennsylvania. That was that was a <laughs> no No hints given there. Um, that was a client of Engage. And they're like, this this is your account. I'm like, all right, great. So three days later, uh, for a lot of different reasons, it ended up not being an account. So I, I came into a company where I didn't have an account. I'm like, okay, well I know enough to know that I need some sort of like revenue assignability. And then so then I jumped on a pitch for a Coca-Cola brand, which you were in that pitch. I remember, and that went that was not a good pitch, man. That was not a good pitch. That was, was terrible. Um, I won't go into.
1: It was like. It was like in that person's office, right? It was like she had oh, a little table. Oh, that was, and,
0: this was like everything was that could have gone wrong. Our, our computer froze as we were walking in it was One of those highly procured pitches. We couldn't get the presentation going until about 15 minutes in. And then like the whole part of our, you know, finale of our presentation, we didn't even get to there. Like, yeah, so time's up. And so that was that. So point being is, um, Hershey that pitch I walked out of that thinking my goodness this is not a good start and I just remember thinking okay the next thing that I'm put on I have to it has to be great and um so that's sort of I don't know I don't know what that says but that that is a motivator for sure just not Mm -hmm. wanting to fail and then you know there were some west coast accounts that I was put on and then those ended up really prospering for the agency
1: so you go forward, we, we uh sell engage in August of twenty thirteen. You go forward with Mox
0: Exactly one year. Yep.
1: Okay. Uh let me guess. Did you have an incentive yep. to stay for a year?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think like I think I might have like been refreshing my bank account and then when, and then when it hit, I resigned. I'm not kidding. Yeah. It might have it might have like it might have been that. Um might have been that quick but but honestly, New York was always in my mind um you know i my my son was at, was at school in in New England, I wanted to be close to him, and I was just enchanted by New York what like I think a lot of people are some of the bigger creative agencies there so so that was really the reason for the move mm-hmm.
1: and then, um, you and I started talking um we kept in contact, but um there was an interesting idea you had. Or starting a potential yeah. company. And and you would call once in a while. Well, I always, around.
0: What's funny is like going back to, I think, maybe we'll call it catching the entrepreneurial bug. I think I just never, I was never fully content in a quote unquote job. Um, I always felt like I wanted to lead or run my own thing at some point in time. And so I always had this, what I call this restless discontent, where I was always either coming up with ideas or escape hatches. And I just knew you as an entrepreneur and we'd had conversations in the engage days. So I was just bouncing different things off of you. And I remember exactly where I was. I remember walking around a New York city block, just taking laps on a lunch break, just vetting this one idea to you. And it obviously didn't, didn't transpire, but, um, but yeah, it was just, I just felt having worked in agencies, I was looking for ways to disrupt and solve some of the challenges that they, that they face. And I, and I had this, Idea that I, there was another company out of um, Colorado who actually did this, but it's basically almost acting as a broker to creatives and brands without actually having the creatives work within the four walls of an agency. Um, and the idea is that some of the best creatives in the world are freelancing and don't want to work at agencies. How do you access those on behalf of brands? So I sort of had this marketplace idea that I think has, has happened in certain ways, shape, or form. I think, I think we are Rosie maybe does that.
1: Um, yep. It's a very similar. Victor, yeah. It's Victor's
0: and spoils. I think was the name of Colorado. Those guys, yep. those guys did a similar thing. So.
1: Yeah. They put an office in Atlanta actually gotcha. for a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I remember those conversations. Uh, meanwhile, um some friends of mine, um, some people you knew, um, started a small agency called Sandbox, and I was uh, advising a little bit, helping them get getting started um, while I was building Dragon Army. And the um, CEO, um, great friend of mine, um, had been with me at Spun Logic and then Engage. Um, decided that he wanted um, to pursue a different career, and so this—I don't know—three people um, were at Sandbox at the time, and. I remember thinking that I have to call Mike. He's the only person. I don't know how much we talked about this, but we almost definitely would have shut the business down had, had you not said yes. Um, And I didn't expect you to say yes when I called really because there wasn't a whole lot there, <laughs> other than I knew that you wanted to to run something and grow something, and I knew you knew the space. I knew you'd be great at it, but I didn't know that there was enough to entice you. So tell me, when you got that call, what transpired and and what what got you interested?
0: I mean, as I said, it, it, those those kind of opportunities were were always interesting, and I was and I re- probably weekly, certainly monthly, while I was working for big agencies, I would. I would always have the, the daydream, you know, of, okay, what's my move? What's my thing? Um, and I just felt for the right scenario, I just had enough, I think, experience and confidence, especially to, to come into a, you know, starting agency or starting agency that I felt pretty com- confident to, to bet on myself. I thought what was extra appealing to get a call from you and just knowing that group that was involved, there was a network, which... To, to me that was probably the biggest thing is just like a what we'll call it a career account person that i just hadn't done a great job of build, building um which by the way shameless plug for power of the network which i know you're you're so great at um but for listeners i mean i think there's such a um such a value in, in continuing to do that from so many different um vantage points but um so so, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I remember almost verbatim the conversation because I think you did say that. You said, uh, look, I think I'd love to tell you it's competitive, but I think, you know, th- these guys are probably going to shut down if you say no. And I said, well, I'd love to tell you I have to think about it, but I'm in. And and I remember, yeah, that was that was the middle of January. I flew down, met with various stakeholders late January resigned in New York a couple of weeks later and then was was in Atlanta by the end of March um it was kind of the the quick version of that story the why I did it I think I remember when sandbox had started and I just remember thinking the group that was involved I remember feeling like a little bit of fomo you know I remember thinking okay I wish I think I, I think if I had that job I think this could be successful. I, I remember talking to your sister about it a couple of times. I don't know if she'll remember that. would be interesting to see if she does remember that, but I, she was still working at engage. And I remember pulling her. aside, be like, so what's the deal with the sandbox? What's going on with these guys? i pump her for information. <laughs> um, but that was just my extreme interest in, in starting an agency or starting something.
1: So then <clears throat> I think officially what April 1st, that was my start 15. Yeah. I I described the the office space that you guys were subleasing from us at the time um, as a, yeah. a a large closet. Is that how? You yeah. Well, describe we like to
0: dramatize it a little bit too because we had we would like the the company snack at the time. There were these mango slices from Trader Joe's, and and then we had these warm jugs of water that would just sit on the shelf because obviously we weren't going to pay for a water cooler. So, like the the if you were to listen to us tell the story of the early days of, of dagger, it's like we survived off warm water and mango slices, um, but <laughs> it wasn't that hard, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, it was a, it's a, it's a room, the size of somebody's bedroom that we were, that we were cramped in and there were about three or four of us. And it was, um, yeah. And then it started. Yeah. And the, the internet didn't even work all, all the time when we were, the internet would go out, and but we used we always just I just had this idea of like just no downtime, right? So we 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 would use that idea because I I was pretty convinced early on that sandbox wasn't the right name for a lot of different reasons, and and so we were brainstorming a new name. So every time the internet, went on, we use that as an opportunity to think about what the, the new name is going to be.
1: How how soon after starting um, and and effectively rebounding mm-hmm. the the business uh, did you? Did, did you land on Dagger and change the name? And then do you remember and will you share any of the names? Yes. and in?
0: yes. So um, I always knew we I, from the, from the moment I was in New York that I was, that I wanted to change it. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just big on brand. I think, I think a lot of agencies don't spend enough time just investing in their own brands. I think B2B are also brands. And so, um, so, so I had definitely, a, a, I'd say a restless discontent about, around that. And then, we It took probably three months to land on Dagger before we officially changed it. <clears throat> uh, we There was one lead contender. And like Dagger, I love just words that I, th- I think evoke almost a spirit or just a sentiment. And we, we just started to drill into, we liked Ward, like Old Fourth Ward, where our office is now. But this idea of Ward, and then we were like, okay, if you match it with West, it's Westward, which feels very... Expansion oriented and New Horizons. And so then we were like, okay, if West is stacked on top of Ward, it looks like a cool brand because you got two four letter words. They're both start with W. The branding is, why don't we be West and Ward? And so we bought, I remember almost auditioning West and Ward to just different people. Like, what do you think about West and Ward? What do you think about different people? Or what do you think about West and Ward? And, uh, by chance, I was on Twenty Two Square websites probably a week later, and I look at their chairman and CEO. Chairman, I think Ben West, CEO of Ward. I am like, if we name ourselves Weston Ward, this, they're, they're going to think we're just completely trolling them. It was such a coincidence that we came to Weston Ward through just like this whole different creative exercise hmm. that landed on the the two top you know executives. For one of the biggest creative agencies in, largest creative agencies in Atlanta, which I just thought was really funny. So that went, that was done. That ended Western word pretty quickly, and then Dagger happened. So
1: people were polarized is too strong a word, but what what you liked, I think, is yeah. that he Dagger evoked a reaction. Yeah, you always well, invoke that that's a right. We,
0: I sort of shopped it around to colleagues, former clients, friends, etc., and it, it was just polarizing. You had people like expletive, I love it, you know. Oh, it sounds violent. And I just remember thinking, okay, I want it to be simple and memorable and that the fact that it's polarizing, people remember it. And it the violence, I think, I I always felt like we could have tapered by just how the branding looks. We never used an actual dagger. And um and so when they met us, they they knew we weren't, you know, homicidal warlords.
1: So you you're You changed the name. It's mid to late 2015. You're three or four people. Fast forward to today. So we are, we just started 58. We've
0: got open recs to be well into the sixties, ideally by next month.
1: Got it. So, so you're approaching 70, you should be 65 to 70 people. So in, um, five years, you've grown to that size. Um, I would say that's, I don't know that, I don't know that there's history on this, but I would say that's one of the fastest ever growing, uh, agencies in Atlanta that's exceptionally fast growth. As you think back over that period of time, um, what are some of the key moments or key decisions or things that you had to go through that allowed you to level up, right? You probably leveled up three or four times over the last five years to get to yeah. the trajectory you're at now. What are some of those moments? Like those um, key early thing.
0: I think the earliest ones were just ha- having a legitimate brand client and having starting to have a case studies and trusted referrals of our own. Um, you know, I think you come from an agency where you're running multi million dollar accounts, and then you think, okay, I'm good. These brands are just going to give that to me again, and it just doesn't happen that way. I mean. When you're two, three people in a shop, when you barely have an office space, like we talked about, um, procurement and, and big brands are not going to sign up for those kind of untested uh, agencies. So, so the first thing was just getting a couple, what I would say at the time, blue chip or marquee brands, recognizable brands to partner with us. That was that was a big thing. Um, we did that, you know, early relationship with Carter's, Oshkosh. And then um, Interface was a fast follow and Interface sold client of ours. Um, And then having those be retained, right? I think, I think the the big thing was building a business model that was conducive to having retained relationships, because to me, that's the biggest pivot point because then you're dealing with predictability and an actual business uh, from, from my standpoint. And Mm -hmm that was a big, that was a big threshold moment because we were dealing with these, you know, sometimes very, very small retainers or projects where you can't look beyond six, seven weeks. You can't really hire. So it's, so, um, so shifting our, I think our model, you know, sandbox was pretty digital focused. I think we're project focused. We, you know, we characterize ourselves more as now, certainly a social AOR or brand, you know, creative AOR. And those are, those are just our offering is retained. that. That, to me, is probably the, the most pivotal sh- shift. Then, you know, then we move really intentionally into working with more consumer-facing brands. And I think so much of that is around the reputation that that work can build, not only to attract new clients, but to attract talent. And talent's just a huge piece of the puzzle for any business, as you know. But I think especially creative talent, especially creative talent in Atlanta, they want to work for... They want to work for an agency that has some of those brands that people consume, that they hear of, that their, their work is out there in the world. Um, so, you know, the first three things, I think the first or the three major inflection points that I would say is, one, you know, really le- legitimate case study clients of our own, then shifting our our, our business model to be much more conducive to longer term partnership retainers and then shifting again, into being more focused on, on consumer, not to mention, you know, good work, talent, the types of clients you're working with, but in terms of like business yeah. strategic shifts, that's, I, I would say those are three pretty key inflection points.
1: One thing I've watched you do over the years is, um, <clears throat> and I'd love to know if you got this advice from someone, cause I certainly haven't, haven't done a good job of it, is essentially escaping for a bit of time, almost like a walkabout, like, clearing the air and uh, to give yourself time to really process. Cause when you're in the middle of it and you're running, 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 it is really hard to level up and think strategically about the business. And that's, that's difficult. You seems like you did that pretty early or maybe I'm misremembering. I, misremember. I think it happened by accident. Um, honestly, I think about I,
0: I, you know, I'm from Vermont, as you know, originally, and I, um, my son was still spending time there in the summers. And so I would go back there early on in the summers and spend, couple weeks working remotely there. And I, I think I just stumbled upon this epiphany and it happened again later in a big way that when you just separate yourself from your current grind, your current habits, you just start to think completely differently. And I would see the business differently. I mean, even though you're in a different physical space, I just remember I'd step away and I would, and I would consider problems or challenges differently than maybe I had when they were right up in front of my face. And, um, or I was, I was like, it's almost like stepping outside yourself, you know, or maybe I was dealing with a, you know, employee that wasn't completely engaged or something like that. And I and I really realization when I got away, I'm like, what, what am I doing? And I don't know what it is, but I think for me, just that, and not necessarily a vacation, you know, sometimes take, taking time, but just, just changing your routine completely, getting to a different space. Um, had me just think differently. And and I, I know there were some really big talent decisions that were made as a result of that. The biggest one, and, and and I separated more because I ended up with a back injury and ended up, you know, six weeks really out of commission. That's when the, the idea for butter happened. Um, partially just, you know, because I I, I can't stop thinking about, <laughs> about Dagger. And so I think... Um, for me, when I was in that position, I couldn't really work. So I was like, well, what, what's next? And I was just, I had—I keep using this word restless discontent. I think I picked that up from an organization here in, in uh, Georgia. But I had this restless discontent of how is Dagger different, how is Dagger different? That's sort of the inception point for Butter. But point being is, there is, for me personally, something, these epiphanies that happen when I, when I go away and come back. And, I, and it's happened three, four, five different times.
1: So for for um I get a really um global audience. I think 1% of people are in in Europe. <laughs> so yeah, 1%. Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty much everybody's in Atlanta, but for those that aren't T- talk about what butter is sure. but then why it made sense so, for you um, and the vision you had I'll start stuff.
0: with the vision part I mean so 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 part of go- going back to how how daggers position and what we what we believe honestly is is I think with just with the advent of of social media and mobile advertising changed and and brands just have to comport themselves differently right and another way to look at it is you know you've heard consumers are in control consumers can easily subscribe, unfollow brands now. And so, brands have to be that much more relevant in terms of value or culture. And so, we we summarize that with this idea that we think brands should behave more like modern media companies, right? You think about a Bleacher Report or a Refinery29, and Red Bull's a really great example of this because they they actually have their own in-house media company and they're such a great advertiser, but you think, you don't, you know, you don't see a lot of quote unquote advertising from them, their experiences and cultural relevance. And so we, we really anchored on that. And, and we kept saying, look, we, we believe the brands should act more like media companies and that's how we're building our processes. That's how we're building the agency to support that ideology. And butter came from that. And, and butter was actually, because I think, and you know this, being in this in this business, I think agencies sometimes have the tendency to to say to say things and not do them. Oh well, we believe this, or we think this. Well, that's very easy for somebody else to come in and say, "Well, we also believe that brands should act like media companies." What, what I felt like would have been a competitive advantage is if we came into a pitch and said, "Not only do we believe that brands should act like media companies, we actually built our own." media company, right? And so that was the idea for Butter. So, so Butter, really, what I, I say has gone from dust, which was nothing, to an actual bona fide influencer in about 18 months. And it's dedicated to the culture people, things shaping modern Atlanta. You know, this is a, a, a city that's rich in, in history um, and culture. And we just felt like there, there wasn't a brand or that really fully got it in a modern way. And we, and we saw that as an opportunity and we said, look, we're going to invest in it as an agency to bring that to bear. One, because I think it's just exciting to have a consumer product, right? Or And two, it, it also be, it, it became almost a differentiator and it spoke to our e- ideology in a really interesting way. So when we're meeting with you know, Fortune 500 consumer brands, we talk about that through the lens of like, look, this is how you can comport yourself not to be talking about Atlanta culture, but to be culture relevant in your own way. And so that was the, yeah, that was the inception point for, for butter. And, and, uh, and I saw other other agencies doing it in a different way. Laundry service in New York had launched cycle media. Gary V talks, talks a lot a bit about just like the publisher media company mentality. It was there, you know, so there was, I always just think innovation sometimes you're just building on something that you know, it's just an incremental innovation, but, um, but for us, it just, it worked out really, really wonderfully. And and it's been successful. And, and now, yeah, I mean, there have got folks like Usher commenting and followed by professional athletes and actors and killer Mike is, was just a guest on Atlanta pedia, which is the, the, um, our webisodic series that is hosted within, within butter. So it's been fun. It's been fun. And shout out to Brandon. He's, he's, you know, I'm I'm from Vermont, so my knowledge of Atlanta culture is is about a fraction of, of his. He's you know born here, understands this city, and he's done a really really great job bringing that just editorial vision to life.
1: There's two things in that story that <clears throat> I think um, are great leadership lessons. One is doesn't matter how how good an idea is, how well thought out a plan is, you have to execute. You have to execute, um, and 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 i have seen that with butter. But it's the only reason butter has become what it is is because you guys executed it. You worked on it. You didn't give up on it. The other thing is Brandon is is really interesting. It's super like talented, smart guy. Um, but I remember early on you you were always thinking. there's there's something else he should be doing. Like I'm trying to figure out the right role for him because he's got all this talent and I want to put him in the right place. And then you, you know, that's, that's the ultimate, one uh, one of the ultimate roles of the CEO is to, find the right place for the right people at the right time. Right. And, and being able to make shifts and convince people, Hey, look, this is a new opportunity and maybe it's a different track, right? That's not at all what Brandon was doing when he started with you guys. Um, I agree
0: agree with you 100% in terms of a, a leader's role is to understand the, you know, the strengths, possible blind spots, um, but have people lean into their strengths. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I think we stumbled upon that one. You know, Brandon was actually PMing it at the time, and it was led by a creative leader. And yeah, I was I was frustrated with the early iterations of it because I I just you know this is probably why I'm never going to be a creative director. I knew why it wasn't good, but I couldn't explain why it was. <laughs> um, and I remember I was in San Francisco for a culture conference, and he got he called me on the phone and said, "Look, why don't you give me a little more editorial?" He tells the story differently. He, if he, there's an article I think in Atlanta Magazine. He's like, "Get the hell out of my way, everybody!" Uh, but we had a good conversation. I said, "Definitely, man. I'm into it." I mean, like typically a project manager doesn't um, doesn't exert um, editorial control over content, right? They're they're sort of moving um, pieces through and ha- making throughput happen. Uh, but it worked, and he had he had a great vision for it. And, uh, to your point, execution, I mean, it started out with that tile feel, which was really different. And that's that built some acclaim and he just, you know, he became an extension of himself. So
1: I, I want to sort of, um, dive into a little bit more about the new entrepreneurial Mike. Um, but first let me ask this, um, about dagger specifically, two questions. Uh, five years in, what are you most proud of with the company?
0: I'm having a lot of fun right now. I think for, for, in spite of everything going on in the world, I think for me, um, this sounds a little corny, but I, I honestly used to just dream about where we were. Like when I started this, I was like, man, wouldn't it be great. And now I mean, I would, I would say we are one of the formidable agencies here in town. And, um, and we didn't, it took a while to get that recognition. And that doesn't come easy. Um, I think it's I think it's really fun to have a group of people aligned on the same goal, rowing in the same direction, and to start to start to get tailwind and start to have accolades and start to achieve things. What I tell my team when these things happen, I'm like, you guys deserve it. We deserve this because I just think we've worked hard. And, um, so I'm most proud of the, of the team and what we've, and just what we've built and what we've accomplished. It's, it's, you know, I talked about butter going from dust to influencer dagger went from dust to what it is today in five years. And, and everybody, I mean, the, out of the 58 people have their fingerprints all over that. And to me, that's, that's the most exciting thing for me. Um, you know, our purpose, I'm not going to get too, you know, too into, into purpose and mission and vision of dagger, but it's, to, it's really to unlock the improbable within people, you know, because I think I had a, we sat around, Carl, our co-founder and uh, Rachel Knowles, who was heading our culture at the time about two years ago when we put to, put this together. And as you know, purpose is like, what is the, the company's, what is the company's purpose that has nothing to do with profitable gain? Right. And I just said, look, in 20, 30 years, when I look back, I will, I will be most proud of what the individual people or the team became versus like any specific revenue number, accolade or work. And, and I've just seen it. Like, I mean, I, we've had, I've had somebody who entered with me at a gauge a director of our strategy. Now we've had people who have gone from project management to our um, somebody just got a job at creative at Chiat day because she wanted to move to New York. Um, we're talking about Brandon going from project management to like butter launching. And so I'm just most proud of the individual and team accomplishments and what, um, what dagger as a place, because what I, what I most want, and this, this starts with kind of inclusivity is for people to be able to just bring them their best selves and for, and for people to realize those things that maybe they didn't even think were possible because that's almost what happened with me. And this sounds completely corny, but that's, that's what it comes down to for me.
1: Love it. Good answer. Um, all right, here's a question about your five years as an entrepreneur and CEO. What's been the hardest thing about being a CEO for the first time? Just- for me, stress, not 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 in the way you think
0: about like stress. Like, you know, even agency in New York and agencies before, you walk out on a Friday and honestly, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't re- I care. I care about the people. I don't really care what happens to that company. <laughs> If that company goes south, I'll find another job. You know, you're just not as vested. I can put in my two weeks notice and I can, um, and they can do the same thing to me. So for me, this, the level of care (laughs) that I have for, for this company is just something I've never experienced. But, but with that has also um, a tremendous amount of, um, and I put this on myself. So, so some of it, I think I just have to deal with interpersonally. Right. But I just, I hold, my, I hold the company to a high bar and myself to a high bar because I care a lot about it. And I also know that when um, challenges or problems happen in the company, um, it's ultimately a result of something that I could control. You know what I mean? I kind of have this mantra that I, I like to say it's all my fault, right? Which is, it's true. Like, as an entrepreneur, the CEO, co-founder, the whole thing is within your purview of control. And that is a, there's a weight and it's not necessarily a bad weight. I love it. I don't want to say heavy as the crown because I love the job, but I think I never shake it. You know, I'm never, there's never, there's never a 24 hour period where I just can't not care. Does that make sense?
1: Did you read the book Extreme Accountability? Yes.
0: I read that a while
1: ago. It was interesting though, because I, I in, I read it. I in, I enjoy the stories, but it didn't do anything for me because of what you just said. I didn't need to learn to be more accountable. I felt all the pressure and all the accountability. Um, you know, and I think that that's why like some of my friends were like going on and on about how great it was, and I and I was like, yeah, I know, I it's, it's well done, well put together, but it's not going to be one of my top five books because I that's something that when you become the uh, the the CEO in particular, but of a company that's yours, not just the you know a CEO yeah. of a public company, it you you have to have that idea of it's all on me. I gotta figure this out. And and of course with your teammates, but um it's accountability early on. In,
0: I intentionally raised the stakes. Like I think, you know, I, I probably could have told the board, hey I'm gonna work from New York and not change my life. I I think I intentionally Said, okay, I'm going to take a, a big pay cut. I'm going to move cities, right? Because I want to up the ante on feeling like there's no. I don't. I don't want to back out, right? Like I've I've got to make this work. Um, and there's something exciting to that, but it but it does. But it's always there, right? It's all. It's it's it never just you're never taking a vacation from entrepreneurship or, or running a company.
1: That's right. Um, so. W- is there something as you think about pre 2015 that is a surprise to you five years in running a company? Uh, either something I, that you thought would be I the think, case and isn't, um, or you never imagined would be the case?
0: I, I think probably one of the most surprising things is I just think everything you read is just right. Like, um, and I just, I, I, I follow some, some Instagram handles where they're like motivated mindset and. You know, leap in the net will appear, and just so many of these adages that have popped up in, in pop culture and social media, um, like chase your dreams, all these kind of things. I just think they're they happen, you know. And I think um, I just going back to to something that I always want to pardon the the people at Dagger is that my hope is that at someday and one of our values is think entrepreneurially that in some way, shape or form, they embark on an entrepreneurial journey because I think you just learn so much about yourself. Um, and I think what you're you, what you ask is most most surprising is it's actually graspable by anybody, especially today. You know, like you can learn anything on the Internet it, Information is available to everybody. It's completely democratized and decentralized. And anything you want to learn, you can. And um, certainly, how to how to run and start a business. So, I guess the most surprising thing is that more people don't do it. And maybe why they do it sooner. And sometimes I can't really figure out why that is. Because, mm-hmm. but I think people cling to an idea of security. And I, everybody does that is just an idea, right? Cause I think once you actually start it's uh, it's much less fearful uh, or it's much less uh, risky than, than, uh, than not doing it.
1: So then I have to ask what took you so long?
0: Again, I was always discontent looking for the right moment. Um, but I had, you know, honestly, just like, just like anybody else bills to pay and it wasn't the right time. And to me, I think, I think he, I think in order to do it, you do have to you have to create runway, you know, and then take flight. And to me, the the runway piece is capital, right? I think you need to be able to say, okay, I've got eighteen months to make this thing happen, and I just couldn't find I just couldn't find that with everything that was going on with Colin. I also think the bigger your salary gets, the harder it gets. That can become a trapping in and of itself.
1: You know, when I when I speak to, um, <clears throat> like, I gave a talk to the entrepreneurial club or whatever they are a couple hundred students at UGA last year and um, you know juniors and seniors and you know my advice to, to those young people is like I've heard you want to be an entrepreneur Yeah, you're like what are you sacrificing Do PlayStation it, games or really? something it's not like you're <laughs> that's one of them yeah but it's like you know your life you get a cat you get a, a that's a right partner you get an apartment you get a nice car and then suddenly like you're having to feed this machine that you've self-created and and stepping off. So then that leads to my last question, building on this. What advice would you give to the 35-year-old that's successful in their career, maybe has a family? Um, you talked about runway, like how long you know, you say you need to give yourself. If someone says, I got three months of runway, I'm guessing you'd say that's not enough. But talk about runway. And, and what do you think they should be considering as they think about jumping off that ledge?
0: I, I think the runway thing is basically just a game of math where and where it's and everybody's situation is different so i'm not sure how much how much time somebody needs but in order to basically be generating enough income to meet your most minimal expense version and that's one thing i did when i when i started this i mean i got my expenses as low as possible so that i could extend that runway and i'm not saying i starve myself but i i I would say like relative to what I, the life I could have been living, I lived in relative austerity and that to be able to do that for a couple of years so that you can put all of your time and effort into the business. That, that, that time frame is different for everybody. That number is different for everybody, but that was at least my approach mentally was how do I keep, get my personal expense sheet as low as possible and then have as much time to build this thing that I know I can. And that also just creates that fuel and sense of urgency to make it successful. Um, I just think there's something mentally too, is like always looking at the worst case scenario. I I did that as well, which was look you're taking a leap. There's, there's times where where people might say, what are you doing? You're leaving your big job or you're leaving and not believe in you. But I think if you say, okay, what is the absolute worst thing? that can happen, face that, live that, then you kind of live a little fearlessly. For me, I had a very good worst case scenario, which was I would move back to New York and get another job, which, like, and so um, so I think that's just like almost like a mind hack, which is face, face the, the the worst case scenario, live that, and that helps you kind of start fearlessly I know you say this a lot, but I, I think it's very easy to say I'm gonna start. It's very easy to think there's gonna be a perfect time. And there never is. You almost just have to have to just do it once you've taken the calculated approach. And to me, I just strip that down to math. I'm like, okay, this isn't an emotional decision, it's just math. How do I live for 15 months while living off this salary or living off this amount of income? And then another thing I've heard, and I didn't have to deal with this personally, but if it is about money, you know, and you've got a great idea or you've, you know, you've got great momentum on something, there's a lot of people who will either loan money, finding capital should not be the barrier. Um, and it's probably something that's a good skill to develop anyway, as an entrepreneur. So those are just a few
1: things. I think you're right. Everybody has different runways, but, um, it's the fearlessness and, and just saying, what's the worst case? And I mean, the regret true. of not
0: doing it. If it's nagging at you, it's not going to stop and you're not going to be 75 or 80 and say, oh, well, i like, glad I didn't do that.
1: <laughs> that's right. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're as, as busy as anyone. Um, your business is is uh, taking off and um, there's several other things I wanted to get to, but we'll have to have a part two. Thanks for taking the Let time. Let me know how many
0: thumbs ups or thumbs down your audience gives.
1: <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. And I really do appreciate you listening.